Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Crawley, as always. And as usual, the Tuesday edition is the start of our week. One day, I'm going to get back to doing Monday shows. Maybe after the summer. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Three-day weekends until the fall. That's not a bad policy. But we're starting the week off on not such a great note we got the home builder confidence for the week. Usually on Mondays, we don't get a lot of data. It just so happened that on this week, we actually got a pretty substantial report. And let's just say that the markets weren't too thrilled about it. So it's the National Association of Home Builders Wells Fargo Housing Market Index. It basically looks at home builder confidence. And economists had projected that it was going to fall. It's been falling for the last couple of months. And so, sure, we're going to see another drop. I think they projected that it was going to fall from 67 to 66. So another one point drop. And well, let's just say it was a little bigger than one point. In fact, the index fell 12 points to 55. This is the biggest one month drop in the history of the report, besides the big drop that we saw in April of 2020, which I kind of feel like something was happening in April of 2020 that may have had a big impact on housing. So besides the global pandemic, this was the biggest monthly drop that we have ever seen in the Home Builder Confidence Index. Uh, year over year, we saw a 25 point drop. So all in all, not the best report. And it actually gets kind of worse when you look at the kind of three major indices that make up this report. For example, current sales conditions fell 12 points as well to 64. Sales expectations in the next six months were down 11 points to 50. And traffic of prospective buyers also fell 11 points and is now down to just 37. And in case you're wondering what all these numbers mean, uh, a number of 50 indicates that more builders view conditions as good than poor. So when you fall below 50, you are not very confident at all. <laughs> a, good, a good analogy would kind of be like me at 15 at the homecoming dance. That's <laughs> anything less than 50 is bad. 37, that's probably where I was. So looking at the traffic of prospective buyers was kind of like me at 15 at the homecoming <laughs> dance. 37 with regards to confidence levels. So not under 50, so we still we're still more positive than negative, but we are getting close. And <laughs> we did it a lot quicker than anyone thought. Now, I do have some good news for you if you happen to be in the South like I am. A little bit of good news, a little bit of a silver lining if you are in the South and in the housing market. So, of course, obviously, the index, the national index takes the four regions of our country into account, but not every region is reacting the same way. For example, the South, which is held the top spot, I think, for this might be the second or third month in a row, fell eight points month over month, but is still above 70 at 70 on the nose. So that's well above 50. So yes, things have fallen in the South. I think at one point they were in the nineties. So it's down from the peak, but still at an elevated level level. So builders are still 
relatively confident about what is happening with the housing market. Now, the Northeast actually moved up to the number two position, even though they fell six points month over month to 65. The West saw a huge drop, the biggest drop of all the regions, 12 points. They're now at 62 in the Midwest, which at one point was very hot housing market. They've now fallen to fourth, four point drop, 52. They're they're about to uh, fall into that uh, Tyler Crawley at 15 at the homecoming dance territory. (laughs) They're going to they're going to be not very confident very, very soon. So this report was not great. Wall Street was not happy about it. People are now screaming and worrying about a crash. We're going to obviously talk about that in a second. But Jerry Conter who is the chairman of the National Association of Home Builders and is actually a home builder and developer in Georgia, noted that one of the problems is that rising commodity prices are making it pretty much impossible for home builders to build a home or for it to make sense if home prices are falling. He said in a statement, production bottlenecks, rising home building costs and high inflation are causing many builders to halt construction because the cost of the land, construction, and financing exceeds the market value of the home. And that's a problem. I mean, you're not going to build a home at a loss. That that doesn't make sense in any situation in any shape or form. So you're not going to do that. And so that's why you're seeing home builders pull off, especially in high-cost areas. So I think that's why you're seeing places like the West and the Northeast, you know, the, I mean, well, the Northeast actually was only a six-point decline, but it's why you're seeing that big drop in the West. I mean, what it costs to build in the West is insane. Now, the Midwest, I don't know, maybe they're worried about demand drying up because the West is probably, the Midwest, I should say, is probably the most affordable place to build. <laughs> so that one is surprising. Now, Contour also noted that falling prices are already happening for builders, saying in another sign of a softening market, 13% of builders in the survey reported reducing home prices in the past month to bolster sales and or limit cancellations, which has been a big talk with um, some of these reports that we've seen in recent weeks in which they've noted that home prices um, you know, on homes being listed are now being corrected. And they are they are lowering the price on these homes that are being listed, which is quite the turnaround from the last two years where it was the exact opposite, where you list a home for way over what anyone was thinking it was worth. You look at Zillow and go, okay, add 10%, and then you get an offer 30% above that. Well, now we're kind of seeing the opposite situation where people are listing homes, no one's biting, and then they're having to correct that price. And because it is Tuesday... That means we got some data from Altos on Monday. And I really want to stress this. Looking at this just crazy housing market that we've had for the last about two years, I would say the company who's done the best at not necessarily predicting, but seeing trend lines before anybody else, especially on inventory, has been Altos. I mean, they have weekly data. So they are getting week-to-week information versus most reports that are month over month or in some cases quarterly. And so Altos is definitely kind of on the ground in that situation, but they also have been the first to 
highlight these changes, especially with inventory. They were the first ones that I remember talking about here on the podcast. They were the first ones to see inventory levels dry up to historical lows to the point where they said, "Uh oh, housing prices are about to jump off again, which was crazy because everyone at that time was saying, no, 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 housing is slowing. We saw a slowdown in November and December. No, the, the crazy housing market's over. And Altos was like, uh-uh. Inventory levels disappeared. And then all of a sudden, boom, hot housing market. And then as the months went on, Altos was the first one to see that things were beginning to slow because inventory levels started rising. And at that time, everyone said, no, no, things are as hot as they've ever been. Oh my gosh, there's no evidence that this thing is ever gonna end. And now here we are, everyone's talking about, oh my gosh, look at these inventory levels. If you extrapolate these numbers on an annualized basis, we're gonna have more inventory than we've ever had and the housing market's gonna crash. Well, what is Alto saying now? Now they're arguing that things are starting to slow with regards to the inventory increases. So as of right now, July 18th, according to this, this report is from July 18th, there are now 509,000 single family homes available unsold on the market across the US. This is the most we've seen in two years. It is a 31% increase year over year. So inventory levels are rising. That's what everyone is saying. And in fact, 3.6% increase week over week. Now, if you extrapolate that, that's a hundred and what is that? <laughs> I can't even do the math. It's like 170 something percent increase, almost 170%. But here's the thing. Altos points out that this increase in inventory is slowing. So we're at 3.6% now, 4% range. Well, just a few weeks ago, we were at six, seven, eight percent. Now we're seeing that number slow to 4%. Now they do point out that one of the wild cards that could lead to a bigger jump in inventory is construction. So as we all know, there's a lot of homes out there that are unfinished that builders have not been able to complete because of the supply chain problems. And for some reason, they're able to get a lot of those parts at the same time. You could see a big jump in inventory. So that's, that is a wild card. But they are projecting, Altos is, that summer will peak with maybe 625,000 homes. So we're going to go from 509 to 625. However, they are projecting that we are going to end the year at around 540,000 homes, which seems kind of crazy, right? You think we would just keep going up and up and up and we get back to normal of like 1.2, 1.5, somewhere around there. I think that's kind of what you want to see a normal inventory level. So why the drop? Well, Altos points out that sellers who are thinking of selling at some point this year are hurrying to list now before the perceived the market will get even slower. If that is indeed happening, that would put a cap on inventory growth later in the year. So essentially, the same kind of FOMO attitude that people had when it came to buying a house, which was, oh no, we think rates are gonna go up. We think that inventory levels might fall. That's gonna push prices up. We better buy now. Instead of waiting three, four months, we are gonna buy now. That's what people were doing in February. 
It's what people were doing in March and it's what people were doing in April. And now it's the reverse. People are like, oh my gosh, we could see more inventory, higher rates, which means we're gonna get less for the home. (laughs) And so therefore we need to list now. And so people are rushing to list their home, which is pulling forward some of the inventory that would be naturally occurring later in the year, similar with buyers. And so you have to wonder if there's gonna be like some kind of equilibrium reached where all the buyers who were supposed to buy later this year already bought because of the fear of paying more if they waited. And now you have sellers who are coming in and they're selling quickly because you know they wanna get maximum dollar for their home. And so it creates like an equilibrium much quicker than we would have seen happen if it just sort of happened naturally. And so you see this kind of jump up and then fall back down. And that's sort of what Altos is predicting. And like I said, I mean, I these guys have hit the nail on the head every single time we have seen a change in inventory. First ones to call when it dropped, first ones to call when it started coming back up, and I would bet they're gonna be the first ones to call as it begins to slow. It looks like they are. And I would not doubt them. <laughs> I would doubt them at your own risk. Now, before we get out of here, I did wanna talk about this great piece over at Market Watch. Allie Wolf, who is of course the, I think she's the chief economist over at Zonda Economics. And she has a piece of Market Watch in which she talks about housing affordability. And this is an amazing stat, by the way. So as of right now, less than 10% of homes that are being sold right now are under $300,000. Two years ago, that was 35% of home sales. So we have seen that number plummet from a third of home sales to now 10%. And we know why. I mean, home prices are way up. Mortgage rates are up. We know the situation out there. Inventory levels are historically low, even though they are rising. But it's not just the pandemic factors that are making affordability a problem. And she points out there are four key structural issues related to land, labor, regulation, and, oh, I love this so much, nimbyism. I love that she calls out nimbies. We do not call out NIMBYs enough. I do as much as I can here on this podcast, but I feel like we don't, as a society, shame them the way that we should, especially because they're so self-righteous and they think that what they're doing is for the community's benefit and blah, blah. And it's always just for them. It's always selfish, their property, their money. That's all who benefit. That's the only people that, but no one benefits except for them, their selfish selves. That's it. The community doesn't benefit. Low income people don't benefit. Immigrants don't benefit. Nobody benefits except for them. But they claim that all those other people benefit. Oh, we're trying to stop gentrification or whatever other dumb argument they come up with. And that's not what it is. It's about saving their home property values. And ugh, I just, I can go on rants for like hours about NIMBYs. And I just was so glad that somebody at a level of prominence <laughs> was calling out NIMBYs. Cause I feel like it's only me and 
you know, who am I? So I appreciate someone of that stature calling out NIMBYs. Now, real quick here, I just wanted to get into these points. She mentions land prices and talks about the fact that, you know, in places where people want to live, land is disappearing and there's just not a lot you can do with regards to what land is. I mean, that's, there's nothing you can do. I mean, all you can do is maybe change regulatory rules and allow maybe more building on certain areas, which would hopefully lower the overall cost. So instead of, you know, you buy one piece of property, instead of buying one house, you can build two houses, which didn't split the costs against. I mean, that's one of the things that you could do, but land is land. It's finite and its prices just going to keep going up as it disappears. And you can maybe repurpose it and, but the reality is land is finite. There's not a lot you can do about that. Uh, they talk about labor being scarce in the mid 2000s. A million people were working in residential real estate. That number plummeted to 500,000 by 2011. And while that number has risen, it still hasn't kept up with the pace of construction and demand, which is leading to higher wages, which is great if you work in construction, but it leads to higher home costs. And so that's one of the other problem areas that is leading to more expensive homes. And then of course, obviously regulation. We've talked about zoning laws. We've talked about some of these states, cities, what they do to make building harder and more expensive to discourage it, which leads to fewer homes, which makes homes more expensive. And they of course are being led by the NIMBYs. And here's what Wolf wrote about the NIMBYs. NIMBY, or not in my backyard, represents resistance to new development over fear of increased traffic, a strain on local resources like schools, pollution, and discomfort around who the new residents might be. The prevalence of local NIMBYism suppresses new construction as existing residents look to preserve the quality of life they have grown accustomed to <clears throat> selfishness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, without more construction, today's large buyer pool is left competing for a limited attainable housing supply. Wolf concludes by saying to achieve true attainable housing going forward, everyone will need to do their part. Consumers should plan for trade-offs. Builders should continue to seek innovative ways to provide more affordable housing. Governmental bodies should drive for improved efficiencies and NIMBY advocates should consider the negative impacts of constrained housing inventory. Well, that last part's not going to happen. <laughs> they are, they are stuck in their ways, unfortunately. And, and I, I kind of feel like they know and they just, they hide it in altruism, but oh man, I was so happy to see Allie Wolf called him out. Oh, she's my hero. She's my hero for the, maybe the month, maybe the month. That was awesome. Oh, so happy to see that. All right. I'm happy to be back by the way. Not that I was gone. I was gone three days, but good to be back. I will talk to you guys on Wednesday morning for another edition of markets and mortgages. And you guys remember as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.